listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, Into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined, as always, by Philip Russell, and we are coming off of a beautiful Game 2 where the Suns win 129-109. want to say hello to those listening, hello to those watching here on YouTube. We are part of the Brightside Podcast Network, so if you're listening on any audio platform, feel free to leave a review, whatever the spirit moves you to do. But Philip, can we just go ahead and hop into what is an absolutely beautiful game, too, from the Suns? How wonderful is it when you don't have to be stressed for almost an entire fourth quarter? It's great. It was really great, and one of the most impressive things about this game for the Suns is you got two pretty bad games from key cogs in the Suns wheel. DeAndre Ayton because of his early foul trouble and then Cameron Johnson who had flashes in the second half but couldn't put together his usual 25 to 30 minutes of really good basketball yet the Suns are good enough to just wipe the Mavs off the floor there towards the end of the game, especially late third and into the fourth quarter. Honest question here. Did you ever feel concerned that the Suns were going to lose this game? I have no concerns in this series. Luca Luca was scorched earth in that first half. And I, I don't know what the largest lead was, but I know when he was like on it, on it, they were up two to four, maybe. I mean, there just wasn't... And again, I'm looking for the worst. I just can't see how this Mavs team hangs with the Suns. Yeah, and just to just to tell the listeners and the viewers about kind of our process for doing the podcast, one of the things we've done at the beginning of both of the playoff series so far is to try to develop questions for us to view the series through. So we did that with the Pelicans, and we have a list of questions for this series as well. But the only question that I could come up with, the only thing I was even marginally concerned about was how well the Suns were going to be able to guard Jalen Brunson. And the only reason I was concerned with that was because Devin Booker was coming off of his hamstring injury. So there was, Mikhail's going to be good on ball. He's going to make life difficult on Luka. When Luka swings the ball to the other side or when they get two passes to the other side to Jalen, who's going to be there to stand him up? And Booker has looked himself he looks just fine on defense which makes life so difficult for the Mavs because of that no concern no concern we're trending towards being as comfortable as we were last year against the Nuggets that was my thing we talked about it in our game one episode and we we discussed it privately kind of prepping for the series one of my big questions was who who are the Mavs going to hunt And the question was more of where's the mismatch for them to exploit? And I think what we're realizing is they really don't have one. Uh, We saw Luca try to hunt. I think Cam was victim number one at first. I think Cam was the first victim. Biombo was victim number two when that switch happened. But even with that, that's just not, there's a big difference between Luca against one of those guys and Chris Paul versus a fourth quarter Luca, right? There is just not a big enough gap for the, for the Mavs to expect it to work. And so I know we've talked about this a little bit. 
first thoughts on the game. We've already talked about Luca and the lack of existence that he had physically. I think he was just slowly Thanos snapping away in the fourth. What are, what's your first takeaway, your big takeaway after game two, uh, other than the Mavs just might not have much of a shot? The clear and sizable gap between these teams. There, there's a lot of discussion on Twitter. I saw a couple of national guys like Haralabob, Vulgaris, was almost what? live. Tw- he was almost live tweeting the game. Stop! Hey, tonight. hey, uh, uh-uh, I'm not gonna let you keep rolling. You nailed that. Thanks, dog. That was I'm beautiful. A, I'm a cultured man. That was awesome. Continue. I'm sorry. Continue. So Haralabob was pretty much live tweeting the game, and he had, I think he had a discussion maybe with half court hoops about there's chess and then there's checkers. Mm-hmm. The Suns' ability to play chess against the maps is so good but even even still it's not it's not hidden what the suns are trying to do in this series so it's almost like both of the teams are kind of playing checkers in some respects but it's like all the suns pieces are kings and all of the mavs pieces are just the normal ones so the suns can move in all these different directions but the mavs are singularly focused with their heliocentric offense that they run with luka <laughs> That heliocentric. Who would have thought that that word would be used so much in uh, basketball commentary? Uh, I think one of my favorite things that I've been seeing are just uh, Mori type teams. That that phrase has been thrown around a lot too. The we have one guy and we're gonna just try to throw a bunch of pieces around him. I mean, LeBron realized he can't fly with that. He had to have a couple other pieces with him too, like the Booby Gibson Cavs weren't going to get it done and that's how I feel about this Mavs team there is one guy who is legitimately on another level like I don't some Suns fans hate him that's totally fine he is an incredible basketball player offensively he is on another level defensively I think we saw his limitations and I think a big part of that too is just the physicality of the game his legs are getting he was looking rough. Like, let's just, let's be frank. He was looking rough, but man, they don't have anything. And Tim Hardaway, like someone like that, someone who might go off, you know, maybe that would help, but still not enough, right? Like Jalen Brunson's not dropping 41 against the Suns. I mean, Jalen Brunson's going to struggle to get 20. They have no one to ease the load for Luca. And I just think I think that's showing. Uh, I, I want to ask you before we really dive into the Suns' offense: Was there any player that really stood out to you, impressed you for the Suns? Uh, Biombo was one for me that I thought came in, had to play way more minutes than expected. Really held his own. Uh, it's just such a great luxury to have a third center like that. I wish we could have gone back to last year's playoffs and had some of these big fellas, but any one player really jump out to you after game two? No, but besides that, that's not true. Devin Booker and Chris Paul were unbelievable in the fourth quarter. But but the nine assists from Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder were big time. Jay, Jay was, yeah, Jay was on my list. And a lot of those were coming off of Luka not being quick enough, engaged enough, active enough on the defensive end to recover. There were three or four times in the game when Jay Crowder, Jake Crowder, some might say, 
made Luca look like his feet were just stuck in the sand and like tough. he couldn't move. And then in the fourth, you go, okay, what's he going to do in the fourth quarter when it's not Jay driving on him? It's going to be Devin Booker or Chris yeah. Paul. And he got absolutely demolished. But again, Jay and Mikhail combining for those nine assists, that's huge. That's huge for the Suns because yeah. that's playmaking, that's secondary, or here's our word from last series, tertiary, tertiary. playmaking that is elite. I'm learning, baby. No, I, I Jay Crowder was the other one. I know Busy was more, I guess, unexpected given the lack of usual minutes. Jay was also pretty unexpected given his his lack of kind of coming into his own this playoffs. But man, he he got points quick. You could tell the three was falling. That gives him another level of confidence. I also think his physical and verbal irritation of Luca is going to be nothing but a good thing down the road, too. I mean, you've got to know Luca mentally is very frustrated by the amount of weight he's trying to pull. And if you take a guy like that and add any other distractions, annoyances, I mean, you saw it when he, when he snapped at the guy in the stands, which more than likely the guy in the stands said something idiotic that should have demanded a response, let's be real. But it's, it's wearing on him. And we, we talked about this in the last episode. How on earth is he going to do this for a seven-game series, right? Like, that's, that's insane to think about. Uh, and it's kind of crazy to me, too, because I think they made, and I could be totally off on this one. Someone will have to fact check me. But I think they said this is the first time the Mavs have made it out of the first round in a very long time. And so for Luca and company, this is the first time they're having to figure out how to keep going after the first playoff series. So it's it's tough. I I don't I don't feel bad for him, don't get me wrong, but it is tough to watch when he just looks drained. Uh but We've talked about so many of the Suns players already. Let's go ahead and move into what I think is the key of this game. And you brought it up earlier. Um, and I'm going to kind of just turn it over to you on this one, but want to at least give the audience, those listening, just a little bit of an idea of the numbers for the Suns as we, as we pivot towards talking about their efficiency on offense. So, this is so stupid. The Suns shot 64 and a half from the field, 52 from three. That is, uh, that's pretty impressive, my guy. That is, um, I think I saw a tweet right before we started that it was like the best true shooting percentage from a team since a Clippers game a few years back. I mean, the Suns were on one. So starting broad, the Suns offense was firing in all cylinders. Break it down a little bit for those listening. Break it down for me. Why did this happen? And is it repeatable? So I just want to throw one more one more number out that launches us into this discussion. In the fourth quarter, the Suns shot 16 of 19 from the field. That's a Goodness. whopping 84%. They were 6 of 8 from 3 for 75%. Now, you got a couple garbage time three-pointers in there. I know Booker just went, they had put the nail in the coffin and then Booker just kept hammering the nail with a couple of his with a couple of his threes and then Ish came in and hit his three. 84% in a quarter is otherworldly. And mm-hmm. then to your point, there have been we did this, we did this research last year or the year before last. When teams shoot 
50, 40, 90, which the Suns basically did. Two years ago, you could count on one hand the number of games lost in the playoffs when you shoot that efficiently, or maybe it was the finals. It's mm-hmm. just one of those, it's one of those stat lines where you just don't lose in the playoffs when you're shooting at this kind of otherworldly efficiency. The Suns upped that to the 60, 40, and basically 90. I think they were 85, 87. If Busy busy made two of two instead of one of two, they would have been over 90% as a team. It's just unbelievable efficiency, which begs the question, why are the Suns that efficient? Why are the Suns that efficient? Now, we're going to get to the obvious answer, Suns fans. If you watch the game closely, you are well aware. And if for some reason you're a Mavericks fan watching, you're probably painfully aware of this. But the more generalized answer is the Suns know the exact actions that they want to put the other team in, and then they know all of their options off of them. Several examples. We can go back to game one as well. When Brunson in the first half, in the first quarter, gets two fouls on him, the Suns run a set to get McHale really good position where he catches a pass with his feet already in the lane on Jalen Brunson. And all he has to do is elevate. And as soon as he elevates, Brunson's not going to go up with him because he has two fouls already and he can't pick up a third in the first quarter. Easy buckets for one of the best finishers at the rim in the whole game. There are other times when Jalen Brunson gets switched onto DA and the Suns have spaced the floor well. So you have four guys on the perimeter and just DA and Brunson in the lane. The Suns are cool just kind of lobbing it up and telling DA, go get it, big fella. Yep. And that that's how he got several of his several of his buckets already this this series. So all of that to say, pretty simply, the Suns get the kind of looks that they want. And then, and then when it comes to crunch time or when it comes to points in the game that it either feels like the game might get away or feels like a really important part of the game, the Suns start hunting. Mm -hmm. They start hunting. They try to figure out who on the opposing team is either the defensive weak link has foul trouble or puts us in the best position to get the best bucket. And the answer for that in the entire second half really was Luca. The Mavericks now have a Luca Doncic problem on the defensive end. Can I can I read you a quick quote before you continue there? Go for it. Jason Kidd post game. This is this is a beaut. We've got to get other guys involved to help Luca. It can't just be him. Kidd went on to acknowledge that the Suns had a ton of success hunting Doncic. It said the Mavs have have to do a better job, quote, protecting him. I mean, you can be self-aware of the problem, but that doesn't mean you can fix it. And again, everyone sees it. Like Mm -hmm. everyone watching that game from either side, even Reggie Miller, who can't see a thing, he sees it. So like, what, what do you do? I, I don't know, because four different players so far this series have made Luka look bad defensively. CP3, 
Devin Booker. Those are two where if they bad defensively, who cares? They make the best defenders in the league at times look yep. like poor defenders. Mikhail Bridges is another one. A lot of times when Mikhail makes a really good offensive play, it's it's all up here. And for podcast listeners, I'm pointing to my head. He is smart. He can feel like on the little inbounds play where he does a fake handoff and he shows and goes. He can feel where the defender is. He knows if that defender is going to try to cheat up and help on the DHO that they're pretending to run almost every time they run that play. And then he goes straight to the basket. Mm -hmm. But the big one, and we've already talked about it, is Jay Crowder. I was dying. I was absolutely dying when Luca had to bite and collapse on a Jay pump fake before Jay took what felt like eight steps to move three feet before collapsing the paint. And I think he had, what, two in a span of a minute? Nice little dump offs to busy Javel. I think it was busy. Uh, I can't remember, but like, if if Jay Crowder is getting that look, you know you are in trouble no matter what. Mm-hmm. So what they're what they're doing is no matter who's guarding Luca, or no matter who's guarding CP three, and no matter who Luca is guarding, they're bringing that person up and setting the pick, and they do it with Devin Booker as well. I loved it when it was Cam Johnson. And instead of running a pick and roll, it was a pick and pop out to the wing. And Cam got a couple really good, really good looks. So why does this make for a Luka problem? He is their offense when he's on the court. And this, again, is also pretty obvious when you're watching the games. He carries a heavy load and he is exceptional, exceptional on the offensive end. His stat lines for tonight, unless you look at his plus minus, is really good. 35 points. On 22 shots, 5 of 10 from 3, 4 of 5 from the line, 7 assists, 5 rebounds. But he's a minus 28 because he was terrible defensively. And again, one of the reasons he's terrible defensively is because he's getting worn down as a game's going on. What are you, Ethan, I'm talking a lot. What are you saying You're that good. the Suns are doing throughout the course of the game to wear Luka down? I think the big part is, and this might sound counterintuitive, they're not forcing him to pass the ball early. So in the, if, you're, if you're looking at, okay, we know what the Mavs offense is, we want to stop it, what do we do? Well, let's get the ball out of Luka's hands, right? If you wanted to do that, you would, you would blitz, you would double, you would do something to force pressure to make him make a change. I think the Suns are very content saying, we're going to play you straight up. We are going to be very physical with you, and we're going to make you work very hard for every bucket you get. Now do that for two to three quarters and then see what your energy is looking like in the fourth. Like they're, not, they're not concerned about him, and that sounds crazy, but I think if they let him drop 45 again tonight, the Suns still win. Like They are letting him do what he wants early in the game offensively, but they are just making him work so stinking hard. And that's what seems like that's what's wearing him out. Like the only reason this game was remotely close as long as it was is because the Mavs bench mob tonight really stepped up in those no Luka minutes. And that's where the game became a bar fight. It was foul after foul after foul. It muddied things up. It didn't let the Suns bench unit really get going. And it stayed longer or stayed close longer, allowed 
the Mavs to stay in it, allow Luka to rest. But I'm just telling you, if that didn't go that way, one, the point differential would have opened up more. Two, Luka would have had to check back in, burning himself out even quicker. And so for me, it's just a marathon. Each 48-minute game is a marathon, and the Suns know he doesn't have the juice to run a good sub-six mile on that last little stretch, right? I'm, I'm trying to make it as runnery as possible for you here. Appreciate but like, that. that's, that's my thing. They're letting him burn out and then capitalizing when it happens. Because the, in the fourth quarter, I mean, they not only did they abuse the Mavs, they abused Luka to the point where it wasn't just Suns fans trolling on Twitter. Everyone saw what was happening. So it is what it is. I want to ask you, when it comes to Luka, we've got a, a comment here on, on YouTube. We're throwing this on the old live stream for the first time. Bridges, once again, unsung hero. How much do you think that wearing down process is attributed to McHale's just ridiculous defense on Luca. And I think you can throw Jay in that mix too. And Cam Johnson. Yeah. And Cam. So the first, the first half highlight Luca did him dirty in the first half. And that was a great play from, from Luca. But I feel like all of them at different points throughout the game are having possessions where Luca's having to work, which mm-hmm. is, which is great. And Cam Johnson got into foul trouble. He had a couple iffy fouls, dumb fouls. That's okay. They're making life hard on Luca. Chris Paul, the same thing. When Luca gets Chris Paul on him, especially in the post, he should score or he should get a decent look. But if he's going to have to bang and back down several times, that's great. That's that's okay for the Suns when you're looking at the macro view of of the game. So I just have two more points on the Luca problem, then we can move on. Because this is Suns fans, if you're listening on what day is today? Wednesday into Thursday morning. It's now, now. Thursday, man. Yeah. Do I love? Boy, do I love editing podcasts at one a.m. The playoffs are great. If you're listening on Thursday, I'm assuming you are going to hear and see a ton of talk about Luka Doncic's defense. Now, just two more things on it, and then we can we can move on. Stuff I love that the Suns do. Luka got a quick breather towards the end of the third quarter, and then he comes back out for the fourth. They put him on Cam Johnson to start to start the fourth. So the Suns come out and they go like this. Elbow, snap. Elbow, snap. So what they do is Luke is on Cam. So they run their normal elbow set, which is the little drag screen across the free throw line. So Luke is getting hit with one screen. And then they go immediately into their Spain pick and roll where Luca is either having to switch onto the ball handler or fight. Yeah. Tag the big as Cam Johnson sets the back screen or jump out with Cam. He let Cam go. Cam got a wide Repeatedly. open shot. He, he missed. He missed on that possession, but snap your fingers right away. They're putting Luca in multiple actions. And then, and we have a stat from Twitter that I'm about to share. The relentless attack putting him into pick and roll, which we've which we've already discussed. Haralabob. <laughs> Was apparently very focused. He was very focused on this game. He he really tonight. cared about this one. He he's a big. When you hear analytics, he's like one of the OGs. He's also, yeah, he's a, he's a, a really bet, interesting a character man who somehow worked his way into some big positions. Yeah. Anyway, he, he used to work for the Mavs. Mm-hmm. Here's a stat for you. He tweeted this out. I'm assuming it's accurate. The Suns went after Luca fifty five zero times as the screen defender. Oh my poor kid. They scored 1.72 points per chance. 
if you that is, average that out into a net rating, that is 172 points per 100 possessions. That's unfathomably good if you're a Suns fan. If you're a Mavericks fan, if you're the Mavericks coaching staff, what we have posted here on the screen on the YouTube stream, you have a Luka problem. So here's my question. And I think I know the Philip answer because we've done 50 plus episodes now and we talk regularly. Is there hope for the Mavs? And I want you to first, I want you to first start with the Luka problem. And then I want you to talk about series as a whole, because I'm guessing you have the same answer for both. There is more hope for the Luka problem than there is for the series as a whole. You can try to hide Luka. You can try to be creative. You saw it towards the end where they they started just throwing Luka into the corner. Like whoever's in the corner, that's who you're going to start the possession on because that gives you an opportunity to then hand off as the guy's running up to set the screen for the pick and roll. That gives you a chance for someone else, anybody else. They even did it with Kleba one time. Kleba was the guy who handed off and then CP3 cooked him too. That's so like you can do, you can do stuff like that as a whole. Does it seem like the Mavs have any chance to win this series? Here's a Philip answer. No, no. They are outclassed. 100%. Uh, Another comment there. Bridges fought over screens the whole second half, made steals, and wanted to stay over Luka. We talked about that because Philip and I watched this one on Party Together. Mikhail was doing everything humanly possible to fight over that screen and and just stick on him. And can Can you imagine how annoying that would be? I mean, there's a reason that the guy's just straight cooked. And again, we're looking... We're looking one game here, but my answer again is there hope for the Mavs. I mean, there's not, a, there's no way. Like, if he looks this tired after game two, how's he going to look after game three? And if I'm not mistaken, it's a one game, it's a one day rest day, or sorry, one day of rest between every game this series. And there's this is no double. This is a weird schedule. So the games that played tonight are the next playoff games that will be played on Friday. Mm -hmm. So Philly and Miami turn around and play Friday, and so do the Mavericks and the Suns. And then Boston, Milwaukee, Dubs, Grizzlies don't come back until Saturday. And then Suns, Dallas, Miami, Philly again on Sunday. So there's a chance, like a very real possibility, that the Suns can close out the Mavericks on Sunday. I say that pushes the Warrior series potentially longer, right? If it continues to stretch, which is mm-hmm. not to be too presumptive here, but you would so you could see potentially, let me clarify, if the Suns were to sweep, their series would end on Sunday. Yes. And Grizzlies Warriors aren't playing game three till Saturday? They play game three on Saturday, and then they should be every other day until game seven. And that one's at least going five. At least going five. That's correct. That is very interesting. I will not assume anything, but that is very interesting and potentially very good for our sons. So um, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I want to close by just saying 
you're looking at game two. We've seen how the Suns have gone about killing the Mavs. And I think tonight was another example of what we talked about after game one, death by a thousand cuts, right? Like you're going to just repeatedly get worn down. We are going to repeatedly run the same annoying sets that you cannot stop. And the beauty of it is, and you've called this out while we're watching, they've got the, is it what, they pound their fists together? Is that their Spain pick and roll play? So yeah, like, it's like this. Yeah. Your fist on top of each other. You're, like you're, you're doing the mashed potatoes for the Wiggles. Got it. Don't know how, I don't know why that's what popped in my head. Uh, but yeah, so like they know what's coming. Obviously anyone with two eyes and some basketball tape knows what's coming. They can't do a thing about it. Uh, I loved, I loved when Cam was doing it with the pop out. Cause I think he had three open looks in two minutes. Like the Mavs, I don't know. I want you, I want us to close by, I want you to put your brain in Jason Kidd's brain right now. You are coach Jason Kidd. You have watched game one and two. You've seen your superstar play like a superstar. And you've seen the rest of your dudes look like regular dudes. What do you do going into game three that would actually allow you to think there's a different outcome? I listened to a lot of the mismatch with Verno and KOC. Part of me just for KOC wants to say, give Frankie Smoke some more minutes. Just try him out. Might as well see what happens. See if you can get Dorian Finney-Smith to not have three fouls in the in the first half see if you can get frankie smokes and may, maybe that's the move go small and let frankie smokes be for those of you who don't know i'm using like some <laughs> NBA jargon say, right now I was say, that's please frank, explain our our beautiful ex nicks point guard for the fans that's frank nidalakina so he's called frankie smokes maybe that's it that he plays a small ball five and then you just roll with dorian finney smith luca Jalen. Reggie Bullock and Frank not as much shooting probably with with that group but you would think maybe that's better defensively you're still probably then leaving Jalen Brunson guarding Mikhail Bridges which he might be barbecue chicken against Mikhail anyways now, weird follow-up that I just had pop in my head as we're talking about what rotations the Mavs can throw at the Suns when you look at the Suns rotations, not to say that much of what they're doing is predicated, I would say, or like, let's just say it this way, their hand's not being forced. They counter when they want to counter, right? They do their thing. There were long stretches without Aiton when the Mavs went small, and a lot of that was foul trouble. We got to the point in the game where you might see Aiton come back if this was a game that you feel like you need the extra push we didn't see that happen when the Mavs go small do you think the Suns matching them is is still the is like the best option or do you think you put Aiton in against the small lineup and let him go to work because that's usually when they switch more right when they've gone small that's when they start switching everything which seemed to kind of stunt Aiton's opportunities end of game one if I'm not mistaken do you think do you think them doing anything drastic could really change the Suns' MO? No. No. Because what the Suns are going to do is the Suns are still going to pick. Let's say let's say the Mavs start switching and maybe they have enough length to make life difficult on DA. There are two counters to that. 
if you're if you're running enough picks in one possession, you're going to target a guy like Jalen Brunson or Josh Green right. to end up on DA. DA underneath, which we saw they, they did it and it worked just fine. They have to, they have to front. If there's more than if there's more than five seconds left, they have to front. The Suns, if you've watched the Suns all year, you know they're counter to that. Mikhail or Jay flash, I mean, flashes in an instant. They see it and they flash to the nail. They get the pass, they lob it over to DA. Easy money. If they play behind, DA's gonna get himself to the middle of the lane, catch, and just immediately go up. And his sky hook was 60, 70% this year. So that's gonna yeah. be a super high value play for the Suns. So DA is good enough to stay in and to punish a small lineup, especially this particular small lineup. Yeah. Uh, put on your predictor hat here. We saw Chris Paul go crazy in the fourth, though Booker with a petty three to take the, man, that was an, if I'm Chris Paul, I'm going back to that box score. And I'm like, dang it, Devin, <laughs> you, you decided to hit all these late game, who cares threes to take the top points. Gotta be frustrating, but looking at game three, who do you think is more likely to have the big night? A big or a guard? Oh, for the Suns? For the Suns. And basically what I'm say, saying is, no, for the Luka, Mavs? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say for the Mavs, I think Luke is going to do everything. Yeah. Do you, you think Aiton will right the ship? Because I'm pretty sure he led the team in points game one, if memory serves. Uh, I think he did. Do you think, you think Aiton, if he avoids foul trouble, takes care of business, has the big game that I think a lot of people expected tonight? Or do you think... Chris Paul or Devin Booker are just going to absolutely cook poor Luca in the fourth and end up with 30 points again. Mikhail. Ooh, I would love that. I think it's going to be Mikhail because I think you're going to have to see the Mavs start helping more off of our wings. And when that happens, you're going to see Mikhail flying in. I could see a 20 plus, 20 plus points and at least five plus assists from Mikhail and it being just in the flow of the offense. How much how much did Mikhail finish with tonight? I remember being He had eleven and he had eleven see, points, six assists. He, he had eleven points. Well yeah, he, he had eleven points. He scored the first five. We started yeah. the game with the Mikhail two, I think, and then the three then in the corner three. to go crazy. So I preemptively got excited. I thought the Mikhail game was coming. He he kind of he kind of teased me there. And then he's like, ah, I'm just kidding. I'm just gonna go play great defense. But no, man. Um, I think we said Suns in five after game one. I would, uh, I will hold us to that. That was the prediction from the podcast. If you were allowed to hedge or change, you still holding strong at Suns in five? Yes, because Luka Doncic's can go dumb one game, and all you need is foul trouble with Booker CP3 and a big Luka game. And you could, again, you could easily see a game going the Mavericks way. Final question as we, as we bring this to a close. And this is actually a question you posed to me as the game ended. Do we think Luka will go full Nikola Jokic at some point this series? Will he snap and shove somebody? I, I hope not. I like Luka. I think he, he seems like a relatively friendly opponent. I mean, he's, guys. he's best friends with my best friend, Boban. So there you go. through the transitive he, property, he's 
be great. Yeah. Helps guys up, does all the does all the nice stuff or whatever. Don't become a villain. Don't become a villain. Just be the really good offensive basketball player you can. And here's an off-season question, and here's just a little tease. We're not getting into this discussion, but is Devin Booker's defensive prowess enough to make it a difficult combination to say who, or difficult discussion to say who's the best player, Luca or Devin Booker? Offensively, there's no question it's Luca. Mm-hmm. But when you add in Devin Booker's really good defense that he's played this year, we'll have to we'll have to table that one. Yep. We've already started compiling off-season episode ideas, uh, which hopefully will be coming off of an exciting and positive end of the season. And if not, give me a week or so, and uh, we'll figure out what comes next. But no, if you're if you're listening, if you're watching, we want to go ahead and just say thank you for for joining us for for listening to us uh, ramble on for 30, 40 minutes, especially during the playoffs. You guys have been. I just want to give a shout out to those listening, those chilling with us at the thirty-seven minute mark. You guys have been listening to us a whole lot. We had a span of it's like three episodes in six days, and it was like it's crazy seeing how many of you all are riding with us. And we just want to. I need to open. I need to open next episode. Hopefully, remind me of this. I want to thank you guys earlier. Given statistical analysis says less of you are here now than they were then. But thank you for listening. We appreciate you guys a whole lot. Um, Thanks to the folks at the Brightside Podcast Network for riding with us as well. We will see you again after game three, which will be Friday night in Dallas. And what's the uh, what's the tip time here? Probably going to break my heart, but I'll look anyway. It's oh, it is 830. How exciting. You know, what's crazy, though. I don't know if you saw this. Sundays is a 2.30 p.m. tip. That is is interesting here. That is interesting. All right. Well, for Philip, I am Ethan. Thank you all so much for listening. This is Into the Valley of Phoenix Suns Podcast. We out.